Thank you for downloading the Grove City Vineyard Sermon Podcast. Enjoy today's message. How many of you remember a TV that looked like that? Not all of you. Some of you are like, I don't even know what that is. TV that looked like that. And remember you had, yeah, you had pliers on yours, yeah. Remember how you had to tune it in? Tune it in because it just came over and depending on which channel you were trying to reach, you had to move the antenna and tune it in, right? Coat hanger. All right. A lot of you know what I'm talking about. How many of you had a little brother so they could stand there and a little, little over? Yep. It was, <laughs> that was you. It was uh, just something to try to get that picture tuned in, wasn't it? And remember the horizontal hold button in the back? Didn't happen very often, but every now and then it was like, uh, 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 uh. Andy, get behind that TV and turn the horizontal hold. It was on the back of the TV, remember? Let alone the vertical hold, right? Man, come a long way in TVs. Digital, HD. What a difference it is just to watch something, right? And it used to be. Remember when some days you were just happy to see where the football was? (laughs) I think it's there. There's no chance of watching hockey back in those days, was there, right? And now, boy, there it is in 55-inch glory in your living room. The people are bigger than you are. (laughs) And it's clear. And it's a completely different experience, isn't it? Today... We're starting a series called Jesus in HD. And um, our our hope, our plan, is to spend five weeks looking into the scriptures and sharing from our hearts as pastors about how to to have a closer encounter with Jesus. How, what what are some of the things the scriptures teach us and how are, what are ways in, in which we can experience Jesus more clearly, that his picture would become as experiential as a, as a digital TV is compared to the old analogs. That's really our hope, is to help you with that, because we know it's your heart. You're here saying, if, if this is real, I want all of it. If it's not real, I want none of it, right? That's okay to say that out loud. But if it's real, I want all of it. And I want to have this encounter with this living God that you guys talk about. So that's our heart for these coming five weeks. Would you pray with me, Father, as we, as we launch this series of messages this morning, we do so with a great sense of anticipation that good things are going to happen for a lot of people. Thank you, Father, for your scriptures that teach so clearly your, your heart for us. Thank you for the Holy Spirit who draws us consistently into your presence and challenges us to come closer. Thank you for the blood of Christ that even makes that possible. Thank you, Lord, for this church, for these people that you have sovereignly drawn into this room at this time for this message. And so I pray that you would take my words, translate them, Lord, from when they leave my lips to the time they get to the ears of each person, would you translate them into the message that you want every person to hear today, in Jesus' name, amen. So there are a couple of scriptures I'd like to lead off with, and we'll look at John chapter 10 together, but 
Way back in the Old Testament in Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 21, the Bible says, uh, the Lord saying, I will bring him near and he will come close to me, for who is he who will devote himself to be close to me, declares the Lord. This isn't a New Testament concept, this business of being close to the Lord. Throughout the Old Testament, we, we find God ask, asking questions. Who will walk the wall? Who will stand in the gap? Who will stand in the watchtower? Who will do these things? And here, here we, we hear this. Who will devote himself to coming close to me? It's, it's from the beginning, the heart of God. God created us to have fellowship with him in the garden, and sin has interrupted that. His heart has not changed. And so the Bible's clear in saying, oh, who will come close to me? In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, it says, And without faith, it's impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly or diligently, in some translations, seek him. Now, the first part of that makes sense, right? Uh, it, it, whoever comes to God has to believe that he exists. <laughs> you got to start there. It starts as an act of faith. Yes, I believe that there is a God. And that's an act of faith, and that's a decision of faith. Decisions, we make decisions of faith all the time. The decisions based on whatever evidence we see. And so we make decisions of faith. And we get on airplanes because we make a decision of faith. And we drive through green lights because by faith we believe the others are red and that the other people are sensible enough to stop, right? But we don't know. And so we make decisions of faith all the time. And so the decision of faith is, is there enough evidence externally and internally in your life just to say there must be a God? It all begins there. Is there enough evidence internally, the stirring, the longing? The Bible says that God has set eternity in the hearts of men. Are you, do you feel that? Do you sense that? Do you know that? And is there enough evidence on the outside for you to make a decision of faith that says, first of all, there is a God? That first part seems really clear. The second part, and that he rewards those who diligently, earnestly seek him. That makes sense, too. That the reward of God, by the way, is not money. Aww. The reward of God is not a new husband. Aww. The reward of God... <laughs> is not another national championship. Aww, now I'm meddling. The reward of God is God. <laughs> it's him. It's what your heart's really longing for. It's who your heart's longing for. And that makes sense to those who diligently seek him, but that sounds painful, doesn't it? It sounds like diligence has to be hard. Well, I want to show you in a passage of Scripture from John chapter 10 that the intention of the Father is that diligence is pleasant. Diligence is good. Diligently seeking God is what you really want to do. And it's the, it's, the, it's the most natural thing you can do once you plow through the sin issues and everything that the devil stands against. So turn in your Bibles, if you will, to John chapter 10. And while you're turning there, the context of this passage is Jesus is using the the, the picture of a good shepherd and sheep as a way of talking about who he fundamentally is, his, his nature. Who is Jesus, really? And uh, Jesus is shattering the categories of the uber-religious people of the day, because they're all saying, this is how God is, this is how God is. These are called Pharisees. 
Good. If you're new here, whenever I say Pharisees, people like to go dun 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 because they often occur as the villains. And so these uber religious people are, are, are their categories of who God is and how God is is shattered by Jesus talking about being the good shepherd, an unclean profession. And then the third bit of context I think is so important to know is that in this passage, Jesus was really endearing himself to the poor, endearing himself to the marginalized and otherwise overlooked in society. He's saying, by saying, I'm the good shepherd taking care of you as sheep, he's saying, I'm one of you. I'm, I'm that close to you. The Bible says, he, being Jesus, he became sin, who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. That's the gospel. If you're still on the fence, that's the gospel. Jesus became sin for you on the cross. He knew no sin, but he became sin for you, for me, that we might, I might become the righteousness of God because of what he did for us on the cross. And so to be a Christian fundamentally, step one is to surrender our lives into that reality and say, I I need you to be sin for me to bear my sin, and I trust you now because of that, that you're presenting me to the Father as part of the righteous body of Christ. So it, it really begins there. So in John chapter 10, we're going to start in verse 1. I tell you the truth, the man who does not enter, this is Jesus speaking, does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way as a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of his sheep, and the watchman opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. And he, check this out, he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Just pay careful attention to the way the relationship between God and his people is the desired relationship of, of God is. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them as his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. We've been over this ground before, how the sheep of a particular flock knew the very voice of the singular shepherd and could be drawn out of any circumstances by the sound of his voice. And Jesus used this figure of speech, but they still did not understand what he was telling them. Jesus said, I love the way this happens. Jesus, he uses some metaphor, some parable, and then they don't get it, and he goes, all right. Therefore, Jesus said it again, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. Like you're not putting, you're not connecting these dots. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep does not, the, the, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate, whoever enters through me will be saved. Hello, church? Are you entering through the gate of Jesus Christ? Yes or no? then you're saved. There's still a lot more to do, but you're fundamentally saved, right? He will come in and go out and find pasture, and the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. That's the devil. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Hey, church, yeah. Where is a hoot and a holler when the Lord really deserves it here? I'm the good shepherd, Jesus says. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. 
Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Are you, are you picking up on the character of the relationship that God wants to have with us? Why we can talk about drawing nearer to Jesus? Jesus in HD. The nature of the desired relationship of God with us is, first of all, personal. Verse, we saw it. When he, verse 4, when he has brought out all of his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him. So they know his voice. It's personal. In verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and they know me. It's personal. We can't overlook that. That as we come to church and as we are part of a fellowship of believers, as we're walking this walk out in real life, in real time, in real space, then we, we don't ever want to forget that the Lord intends for this to be an ongoing personal relationship. Where he knows your voice, he knows your name and you know his voice. This is, this is the heart, this is my heart for you as a pastor, is that just day by day by day you would more clearly hear his voice, more clearly see his face, more clearly know his presence and walk, walk that out day by day. Notice this relationship is a caring one. Verse 11, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. That's a caring one. God wants to care for us. He cares about the things that matter to us. He's willing to lay down his life for us that we might be saved. This is a caring thing. What matters to the, the fear that was in the hearts of these people matters to God. And I just sensed a move of this. That was not planned. It was just sensed a move of a sense, a direction from the Lord saying, invite people to come. Because God cares about that. It's a caring relationship. Your uncertainties, your difficulties, God cares about that. The Bible says, cast all your cares on him, for he cares for you. That was said by Peter, fisherman, cast all your cares on him, for he cares for you. Gotta love that. It's also a commanding, a commanding relationship. If you look at verse 3 again, he says, um, um, that the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. I want you to understand, the Lord has plans for you. This isn't some mamby-pamby relationship where you sit around and drink tea. He's, he wants to lead you somewhere. And he'll lead you into some scary places, some powerful places. He'll lead you in places that you didn't know existed. He wants to transform us. It's a commanding relationship. The shepherd commands his sheep. The shepherd decides when it's time to do this and when it's time to do that. That's part of why I have refused over 27 years now to be referred to as the shepherd of this church. I'm the, I'm the sheepdog. The Lord is the shepherd. I just keep circling around the outside barking at bad stuff. Try to bark you back in here when you wander. Hello? The Lord is the shepherd of this church, and it's a commanding one, and he can command us in any way he likes at whatever time he likes, right? Right. And also notice it's an experiential relationship in verse 9 when he says he will come in and go out and find pasture. This is such a beautiful image of of the shepherd just leading them to pasture and then leading, some, leading them out of pasture so they don't overeat. <laughs> right? 
Turns out sheep left to themselves will overeat. Huh. And so he leads us in and he leads us out. It's an experiential relationship that, that we, we can encounter God in significant ways with our senses. That this isn't just about thinking about God and deciding to believe about God, but that we can encounter him with our senses. And this is the Bible's own portrayal of the kind of relationship God wants to have with his people. And it may seem different than you previously thought. It may create a new motivation for your faith. To say, for real, God, I can encounter God, experience God. And I need to tell you something, it's such a big part of this series for us, is that there is more than one path into the encounter with God. I'm going to be clear on that in just a second. Don't, don't start heading for the door. There's more than one path into your encounter with God. Now, let me be clear. First of all, there's only one God. Hear, O Israel, the Bible says, the Lord thy God is one God. There's one God. There are not many gods where globally, regionally, we just get to pick. There's one God. One God. Right? Hear this. Let me be clear. There's only one mediator, the Bible says, between man and God, and that's the man Jesus Christ. So in terms of restoring redemptive relationship with God, there is only one way. That's a very unpopular thing to say these days, but guess what? It's what the Bible says. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. The Bible says there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Okay? So when I say there are many paths into this encounter with God, I'm not saying there are many gods or there are many, many ways to be reconciled to God. There is one way, Jesus Christ. Now, once saved, so it all begins there. So if any of this is going to make sense to you, you must be able to say, yes, I've entered into a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. I am a good example of saved imperfection right here. And, and so you say yes. Now, if that has not yet occurred in your life, that is step one for you. That's today's call on your life, is to invite Christ into your life, to declare the work of the cross on your life. Once in, though, what we're excited about talking about these next five weeks are the many ways you can encounter God, the many paths, if you will, he's set up into the Lord's presence. That it's not a, a one-size-fits-all kind of thing. And, and, and I fear that we have reduced how you encounter God to a, a, a narrow model in such a way that those of you who are still saying, I'm still not getting it, are getting discouraged. Well, what if there are different ways, and what if we could look at the scriptures and just consider the nature of things and give you those ways? That's what we're going to be doing for the next five weeks. But it all begins today with your belief, your faith choice, that God wants to have a relationship with you, that this is true, that you go, hey, God wants to have Relationship closer than I am. I'm going to tell you a parable. Karen and I know nothing about raising sheep, but we do know about other livestock. I want to tell you the parable of the horse and the goat, if you will. 
And uh, we have a horse named Scout, and we have a goat named Chip, and uh, they are inseparable. Literally, when I go to ride Scout, either Chip walks along in the way, or I have to put him in a separate pen, during which time he screams bloody murder the whole time. <laughs> they are inseparable. But in this one respect, they could not be more different. To Chip the goat, I am a food source. That's all I am. I'm a food source. I come into the barn. He wakes up and goes, ah, ah, ah. That just means, oh, that's all it means. And so make sure they have plenty of water. I give them their hay. I put some grain. Now, grain, in case you don't know, it's like oats and some other things. And we mix some molasses in it so it has a really sweet, kind of good flavor. It's like crack to livestock, OK? <laughs> and so once they get on what the black bucket means and you shake it, they just go crazy. Like, they will do anything. And so when I get that and I shake it, then Chip comes over and puts his head in the bucket to eat. But I want to tell you this. That is the only time that goat will allow me to pet him. That if I walk up to him in the pasture, he will take a few steps back, a few steps back, a few steps back. He has a collar, so once in a while I can go, all right, you little booger. Right? But when I have food, whew, and he will eat that, and I can stroke him, but as soon as the food is gone, he's gone. Scout the horse is the opposite. I walk out there, and every she nickers, she talks, she goes, <laughs> when she sees me, you know what that means? <laughs> Tom, you saw Mr. Ed, right? Tom. And if I walk out into the pasture and say, Scout, she goes, oh, comes on over. Hey, how you doing? Loves to have her ears scratched. And actually, she likes to be ridden. She likes the whole process. And I go in and I brush her, take care of her, clean out her hoofs, and I give her food. She also loves the grain bucket. But there's more to our relationship than just the grain bucket. Are you feeling this? These two animals could not be any more different in that regard. One simply tolerates me as the one who has the food. The other one enjoys me as the one who has the food. They both need food. Now here's where you're already putting the God thing together in your mind, of course, and different kinds of Christians. But here's where the analogy breaks down. The other day, Karen and I were sitting in the front room and I was going through Craigslist. What else would you do? Somebody said, in search of a goat. And they said they wanted a goat for the, to be a companion for their whatever, rhinoceros or whatever, I don't know. And they said, we're not going to kill it. We're not going to eat it. We just want it for a companion. And I said to Karen, huh, look at that. Somebody wants a goat. <laughs> and here's what she said. She said, that's up to you. 
just like that. You know how she can be. <laughs> That's up to you. And it occurred to me that the very fact that I was considering giving up on this goat made me so different from God. Because he doesn't give up. And his heart doesn't change. So the question this morning is, do you, do you see God in his desire to be the good shepherd? Or is he more of kind of a cosmic policeman? You know, you have to appease him, but you kind of want to avoid him after that, right? You come and sing your songs and pay your tithe and maybe teach in the children's ministry kind of as a way of keeping him happy. But at, once that's done, it's like, whew, I'm good. Our heart is for you to understand the God of the Bible. This God of the Bible. How would you characterize yourself this morning? More of a scout, the horse, or chip the goat? Next week, Lord willing, I plan to show you nine different pathways that you can make this journey from where you are into the encounter with God. Hebrews 11.6 says, whoever comes to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. He wants to reward himself or reward you with himself. And I believe that the Bible clearly teaches us that Jesus wants to live in high definition in our lives. From this Hebrews 11.6, think of these three things. First, God desires for you to see him clearly and encounter him personally. That's biblical. Second, there's a place you can get to regularly where you will more deeply and profoundly experience this reality. Third, there is a best path for you that has been built by God for you to get to that place according to the way that he has specifically made you. You may not yet have discovered it. You may not yet have even seen it modeled. But that will be the substance of our teaching. And there are some here today, I think, who might say they believe there is a God, but they say, perhaps you would say, but I have not yet personally encountered him in this way. And there are some here today who might say that if there really is a God, then I will not be able to believe in him until I encounter him. I understand. Stick around. Just stick around. And it begins with this, with this belief that there is a God who wants to have personal, up-close, high-def relationship with me. I'm going to give you some homework for this week. I want you to continue to stay in John chapter 10. Just read it off and on throughout the week. And please entertain two questions. Is this true? That's the first question. Is this true? Is this really true? Is what the bald guy said true? That God really wants? Is what that chapter says true? And then your second question is, if that is true, I want you to just pray this all week. Then what is my pathway into your presence? Once, once a Christian. What is my pathway from here, from my salvation point through Christ? into your presence, Lord. 
Father, I thank you for this church, and I thank you for the generosity of their attention today. Of all the places they could have been, all the things they could have been doing, somehow they were drawn to this place. Pray, God, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart have been pleasing to you, God, and I pray that you have tightened it up between me and them. I pray that you have fallen on each heart in a way that is now stirring and inviting, affirming, challenging, exhorting, convicting. You know what we need, Lord. You know what I need. And so we invite you to come in these closing moments of our worship gathering and move among us. Draw us into this place, Lord. Draw us closer to you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you stand with me, church, please? And could we have some ministry people come on up over to the sides? These people are here to pray for you for anything. And if you're one of those people who, you know, when I was talking about that, becoming a Christian, you're like, yeah, it's time. You can come up to these people, and they will know exactly, exactly how to help you. As always, at the Vineyard, if you feel, if you just feel drawn and would like to come forward, if that seems like it would be cool for you, then we encourage you to feel free to do that.